0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com If you got your Bibles, we're going to continue in the book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter 2. Today we're going to be uh, zeroing in on verses 6 to 9. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. While you all are turning there, when he was 48, Sebastian Bach... Uh, who died in 1750, he acquired a copy of Luther's three-volume translation of the Bible. He poured over it as if it were a long-lost treasure. He underlined passages, corrected translational issues in the text and commentary. That, that's a bold thing right there. Inserting missing words, another bold thing right there, and made notes in the margin. Near First Chronicles chapter twenty five where we have a listing of Davidic musicians, he wrote, This chapter is the true foundation of all God pleasing music. And at Second Chronicles chapter five verse thirteen they saw his writings, where it says, which, and the, the writings. But this passage actually speaks about the temple musicians who were praising God. He noted at a reverence perform a reverent performance of music. God is always at hand with His gracious presence, the presence of God. Understanding the temple, we find a quick. Uh, We find very quick, sorry, very quick the relationship of the temple and the presence of God. All right, really quick, you're going to see the relationship between the temple and this thing we call the presence of God. This is the beauty of what we find when it comes to the character of our living God. And what's this one awesome, amazing characteristic of our living God? There's the God, living God, who created the heavens and the earth, who created everything. Um, He desires to be with his people. That's one thing you see clear in scripture. Our God desires to be with his people people. He desires to tabernacle with us. He desires to live with us, to dwell with us. All the fuss over the temple of the Lord is there because he desires to be with us. At the end of Exodus, we see so much that was written concerning the tabernacle of God. The entire book of Leviticus, the first half, is about us standing before God in his presence, and the second half is walking with the Lord with the presence of God. It's just Amazing just how much we see God desires to be with his people. Ah, but today, oh, here we are in our current culture today, many of us, even in the church, struggle with this reality. Because we as the church, we've taken up the posture today for many of us in modern evangelicalism today. You don't believe me? Just go check the stats. Church, they've taken up the posture that the Lord is just nowhere to be found. That's what we're asking today. We look at the things that are happening in our culture. Look at the things that are happening in our own lives. We're asking, where is God? He says he desires. We look at the scripture. We see he wants to be with his people. Where is the Lord? He feels to me like he's this absentee landlord that's just neglecting his creation. Neglecting his people? Why does he let so much injustice happen? Why does he not do anything about all the stuff that's going on in the world today? Now, remember, family, we went through the book of Habakkuk, didn't we? And we know how dangerous of a question that is when we look at all the stuff around us and we look at God and we say, When are you going to do something about this? Right? And the Lord told Habakkuk, Oh, no. I'm going to do something about this. Let me tell you what this is. And after God was done telling Habakkuk what it was that he was going to do about all this, Habakkuk was like, (laughs) no, just kidding. Just kidding. I forget I asked the question. Very dangerous question to be asking the Lord. Where is he today? Why does he not do anything about the stuff that's going on today? People will say, Shane, I just asked the Lord, where are you? For, For many of the church, for us in the church today, we've been asking this question for so long that now we're starting to believe and we're beginning to just live as if God's not there. Like, yeah, I'll ask the Lord. But he's not going to do anything about it anyway, so I'm just going to continue to do what I need to do to get over this bridge. The label today, for some Christians, is a technical term that people are starting to use when it comes to the evaluation of the church today. They're calling it functional atheism that when you look at the church today, many sociologists, psychologists, people that are understanding and studying the behavior of Christians today, they're referring to it as functional atheism. Functional atheism. Paul Tripp, anything you can read from Paul is really good. Uh, He writes this, I'm concerned with the level of functional atheism that exists in the church today. Yes, we believe that God exists That he created the heavens and the earth, that the Bible is accurate, and that paradise awaits. But we often live at a functional level as if there is no God. It's amazing when you you study this, how people believe the Bible's truth, believe that there is a God, believe that there is a heaven, believe all this stuff. But as soon as we get out of our prayer closet, put on our clothes and walk out the door, we're going to walk and act as if there is no God. It's amazing. He goes on. We worry too much. We control too much. We demand too much. We regret too much. We run after God replacements too much. We do all these things because we have forgotten God's presence, power, and glory. If you look around and look at yourself, you'll see evidence of functional atheism everywhere in the lives of Christians. This week, think about it, he says, this week, how many thoughts did you have, words that you spoke or decisions that you made where you completely omitted the Lord from the process entirely. Things that we did where we omitted the Lord. One of the things I like to point out is road rage. How many of you all got angry? But did you consult the Lord before you did? We believe that Jesus said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You'll ask any evangelical today, do you believe that Jesus said that he will never leave us nor forsake us? all of us will say, yeah, of course, that's in the Bible. He said that. But we act as if he never said it at all. See, the reason why we do this is because we always judge the nearness of God in light of our circumstances. We always do this. And a lot of times, family, when I'm counseling people, we always do this. When it comes to where is God, we ask the question, where is God? When I ask them, why do you think that God is absent from your life today? The first thing they're gonna do is talk about what? What's going on in their lives. All this stuff is bad. All this stuff is bad. There's so many bad things happening in my life chain. God has abandoned me. Our situations are judged by the winds and the waves around us, not the living Lord standing before us. That's why we sink. We're judging it because of that. The presence of God is decided by how well or how bad our lives are going. Everything going well, that means God's near. Everything in your life going bad, that means God's far away. And family, we will never ever, ever get it right if we keep assessing the Lord this way. We will always get it wrong if we judge God's character and we judge God's will and with God thing that God's doing, things that's true, things that are false, all of that. We will never get it right if we judge it by our circumstances. Never. We'll always be wrong. Never get it right. We have got to go to the scriptures. And family, we have got to trust the scriptures. Ah, see, there's the hard part, right? Many of us, we've we've been Christians for a while. We know what's in the Bible. Well, I guess I got to maybe be a little bit more careful when I say stuff like that. But we come in the Sunday school, we know the basics. We know that. We know when it comes to the presence of God, Jesus said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's It's there but we fail in our interpretation of the character of God. And we do this because we look outside of the scriptures to find this out. Now, there is just something just absolutely troubling that's happening in modern evangelicalism today where our church leaders are now urging us to abandon the truths of scripture and to put more faith in the historical fact that Jesus was just here. Why, this is just a really bizarre thing that's happening in modern evangelicalism today where a lot of our leaders are starting to do this, casting doubt on the scriptures. And because the scriptures just don't line up. I mean, it's just, and and the thing is, is that when you listen to what they're saying, they say, the the scriptures are not lining up with what we see is true in our culture. So therefore, something is wrong with the scriptures because it's just not feeding what we're deciding to be right and wrong within our culture and we're not able to blend. The word is the lamp. So let's take a look at it. Haggai chapter two, verses six to nine. Haggai chapter two, verses six to nine. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple i will fill this place with glory says the lord of heaven's army the silver is mine and the gold is mine says the lord of heaven's armies the future glory of this temple will be greater than the past glory says the lord of heaven's armies and in this place i will bring peace i the lord of heaven's armies have spoken love it grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever let's pray Father, I pray that you continue to help us today to put our trust in your word. Your word is truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, got a little bit today. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the startling picture of the Lord's power when a shaking of a world event. Number two, the second thing we're going to look is encounter the sobering reality of riches. Riches. The third thing we're going to see is the beautiful reality of what is intended by the glory that is greater than the past glory. And finally, we will rejoice because the Lord has brought us peace through his son, the Prince of Peace. Our thesis statement today is this. Again, a thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose hope in the apparent distance we feel because of our sinful perspective, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will help us see the beauty of the presence of Christ, the real and greater glory of God in the universe. So point number one, a shaking. This is a picture of the power of God. Okay? Our God is able. Will you believe that today? Our God is able. Able, God is making it clear to all of us that his mighty power, it's his mighty power that will restore everything to its fullness. So people of God, Christians, modern evangelicalism today, be patient with the Lord. It's, things aren't happening because God's not able to do anything about it. It's just not time for him to shake. The Lord is mighty and he will begin to shake up. Nothing and no one in this world can shake the heavens and the earth. Do you know anybody that can do that other than God? I don't know anybody that can do that. You know, try as we may, try as we might. I mean, we can shake maybe a city, a town, but we're gonna shake the entire earth. Hmm. Are you able to shake the heavens Do you know even where to find the heavens? The author of the book of the Hebrews tells us what this means. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 to 27. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 27. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Quoting from Haggai here. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, But the heavens also. This means that all the creation will be shaken and be removed so that only unshakable things remain. God... When he redeemed his people from Egypt, as well as when he redeemed his people from Babylon, he moved the earth. But now the prophet announces something even greater here, that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. Something super powerful was going to happen. Something absolutely amazing is going to happen. Today we like to say, you know, we like to use buzzwords. Today there was going to be a paradigm shift on a divine scale. Something amazing is going to happen. So he's telling the people, "Hey guys, telling the people, don't fix your eyes on the temple at hand. Don't despair at its at how how lowly it looks. Don't despair at that. <laughs> I." am with you, right? That's what the Lord says, I'm with you. Don't, Don't despair, don't, I am with you. And let me tell you something, family. Instead of failing on his promises to his people, God is saying here that I am, I will shake and transform the universe. Do you realize that if I gotta move heaven and earth, if I gotta dry up the ocean and flood the land, I will not fail at restoring you, my church, my people. I will not fail. I will not fail. If I got to move heaven and earth to do it, you better believe I will. This is where we get that, you know? You guys ever hear people, the people will say that today. Man, I, I will be there, you know? But, you know, my, my family from Texas, we say hell or high water. You guys ever heard that? Come hell or high water, right? Um, I don't know if that's a bad thing that I just said, but that's just what we said. I kind of grew up with it. (laughs) But but some of my friends will say things like, you know what, Shane? I will be there. I'm going to be at church on Sunday. If I got to move heaven and earth, I'll be at church on Sunday. I will not fail at restoring you. There's nothing in this world that can keep the Lord from fulfilling his promises. Take heart, children of God, today. God will not hesitate in throwing the world, the universe, the heavens into utter confusion if that's what it's going to take to fulfill his promise to us today. Know what he did to Egypt. You guys read about what he did to Egypt. And you know what he did while you were here in Babylon. He just shook the earth. Now he's going to shake it all up. You know I am able to do this. Family, you know he can go. He can do it. There is no question today, family, our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Today, we've got to ask ourselves, do we actually believe that he's able? In our struggle with functional atheism today, do we doubt that God can do anything today? Do we walk through life showing the world that we know God is able? Do we walk through life showing the world that we believe that our God will shake the whole world if it means keeping his promise to me? Do we say to the world, look, lots happening in my life right now, a lot of things going bad in my life today. I want all of you to know though that he will shake the heavens, the earth, the oceans, and the dry land to ensure that I bring glory to him and that I will enjoy him forever. Do we believe this family? Do we walk like we believe this, that our God's able. Do we walk in this world believing that God is able? Here's the other thing. Point number two, silver and gold. All the riches in the world belong to God. Yeah, he said he will shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land, and you know what else he's gonna do? He will shake the nations. He will arrest the attention of the mortals in our world and he will bend us to do his will. No one can resist the Lord. He will cause the nation to bring all that they desire, all that they see as precious. In other words, all of their wealth. The nations will come, they will bring their wealth and they're going to give it to you for the purpose of the Lord. I'm going to shake everything. I'm going to blow everything up. There's going to be cataclysmic, uh, cosmic events that are just going to pour forth. This is going to be an absolute amazing thing. And you're worried about all of this stuff. Let me tell you something. I will even shake the nations. And the nations are going to come, and they're going to pour their wealth into this temple. I'm going to do this. And I love it. They're going to gladly do it. not going to be a fight. It's not going to be an issue. We don't have to conquer them and take the wealth. They're going to gladly come and offer this wealth to you. They're going to give it to you. Dr. Baldwin writes, Haggai foresees the whole universe in such a series of uh, convulsions that every nation will gladly part with its treasures. These will be brought to to add beauty upon beauty to the temple until it's filled with splendor. Don't even worry about it. Build the thing. Don't, don't stress out about this. I am going to shake heaven and earth. I'm going to shake it all. Shake it. Not only that, but I'm going to shake the nations and they're going to bring all the treasure. They're going to bring it all. You know why the nations are going to do this? Do you know why they're going to come and they're going to do it gladly? Because let me tell you something right now. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. God is owns the riches in all of the universe. Whatever riches you think you may have, whatever riches you think is worth a lot, whatever riches that you possess right now that you're thinking of taking to the pawn shop so you can be on TV and you can pawn it so that you can make money, all these things that you have of value, sure, you can take it to the pawn shop and do all that kind of stuff, but you gotta realize that guitar, that Jimi Hendrix guitar that you have, That belongs to God. Anything that's of worth, anything that's of value, the gold is mine. The gold that we're wearing today, you do know that God is letting you borrow it. Your gold rings, your gold necklaces, all the silver that you got, the silver that many of you got in your teeth. God is letting you borrow that. He owns it. And he will shake it loose to accomplish his purpose. Oh, you better believe God will shake it loose to accomplish his purpose. You know why? Because in the Bible, we've seen him do it. He's done it. God caused the nations to come and to build and to do and to offer all these things for the kingdom of God. We see an incredible demonstration of this in Ezra, in Ezra chapter 6, verses 8 to 12. Ezra chapter 6, verses 8 to 12. He's talking about all the people, this is from Darius, all the people in the land. All the people that they tax, all the people that are under subjection to Persia. He says, moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay the full construction costs without delay from my taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates rivers so that the work will not be interrupted. You give the priests in Jerusalem whatever is needed in the way of young bulls, rams, male lambs for the burnt offering presented to the Lord of heaven and without fail... Provide them with, such, with as much wheat, salt, wine, olive oil as they need each day. Then they will be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the welfare of the king and his sons. Those who violate this decree in any way will have a beam pulled from their house and they will be lifted up and impaled on it. I will de- he's saying, I will destroy you if you disobey this you disobey this, I will destroy you. Paled on it and their house will be reduced to a pile of rubble. I will destroy you if you don't do this. May the God who has chosen the city of Jerusalem as the place to honor his name destroy any king or nation that violates this command and destroys this temple. Not messing around. Yeah, he's telling you your wealth, stuff that you have, the resources that you have, no, you're giving it to the elders of the Jews so that they can rebuild my temple. Oh, you don't want to listen? Wow. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be obeyed with all. Diligence, Family, this financial provision probably arrived just after Haggai's daring claim that their God owned all the wealth and would meet their needs. Imagine that, hearing that. God says, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. And here we are, a couple of weeks later, you start seeing what? Gold and silver being poured into the temple. We saw this. They brought to own the wealth that would meet their need. Later on, what would we see? We would see Herod the Great and his successors were to lavish their wealth on the temple of God. We're not to worry about what we're needing, family. You need, we're not to worry about it. This is clear, a clear demonstration of the way wealth works in the kingdom of God. Here it is. Here's this spectacular, difficult, technical thing (laughs) to understand wealth in the kingdom of God it all belongs to god all of it but 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 you don't understand i was reading in forbes magazine the other day that there's like a 5% of the of the people or the people in this world they own like 95% of the wealth no 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 god owns the wealth and he will shake them if he has to don't believe me he's done it and we see it all the time in scripture he will shake it from you to give it to whom he desires we see this clear illustration in the proverbs proverbs 13:22 proverbs 13:22 when i was a young minister i used to claim this one all the time a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous whoo Man, I used to walk, oh, I used to walk claiming that scripture all the time. You know, seeing the sinner pull up with a Mercedes Benz. Yeah, you're just keeping it warm for me. Here it is, family. If God needs to get us resources, he will get us the resources we need to accomplish what we need. We ask, but then we fret not. We believe and pray, and we don't panic. We make our requests known, and we don't freak out. The gold and silver belongs to God. Do you believe it today? Point number 3. Then he goes on, amazing. I'll shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake the nations, and the nations are going to come and they're going to do something. But here's something that's really really tricky. I'm going to make the glory of this temple they're looking at this temple, you know, like this is what Solomon did with all the oak and here's here's our temple that we built, and it looks like you know one of those Lego models. We built it with Legos, you know. And the Lord says, I'm going to make the glory of this temple greater than the glory of that temple. Solomon's temple. So I want you to picture this. Solomon's temple. Amazing. You read I don't have time to go through all the splendor of Solomon's temple, but Solomon's temple was the bomb. <laughs> And here's their Lego temple that they built, okay? One picture, artist depiction. It was all you know, brick and all this kind of stuff, just a brick kind of temple, you know, just kind of lowly looking, all that. God is gonna make the glory of this temple greater than the glory of this temple? Family, don't get me wrong. Herod's work, okay, remember, Zerubbabel's temple, right? Herod, Herod added to it, right? And over the years, we saw people adding to it and it was just growing and it was just getting more and more spectacular until they got Herod's temple. And it was so amazing so that people all over the world at the time was talking about just how absolutely outstanding, amazing, unbelievable this temple was. The disciples of Christ even marveled at it. As amazing as it was. Could it really compete with Solomon's temple? Now, I I have conversations about this. People say, you know, it technically could have been one of the wonders of the world. It was so amazing. It was so awesome. Herod's temple was so awesome. It was just outstanding craftsmanship and the jewels and the, the precious, all the stuff that happened. Could it be that the glory of God was greater there Solomon's temple now Solomon's temple was pretty extravagant. There was a lot that was going on, man. You just go you go on and on about Solomon's temple, about how amazing. The glory of God greater? So people say looking at the structure greater? Looking at this structure greater? Wow. You go you could say yeah. You know, it was bigger. It had a lot of Precious treasure as well. People oohed and ahed when they saw it. It was spectacular, but was it greater than Solomon's temple? Could it be greater than Solomon's temple? Would the glory of God be greater than in Herod's temple than it was in Solomon's temple? It was awesome, but no Shekinah glory. There was no miraculous fire. The smoke filled the temple. And you know what else? Solomon's temple actually had the ark in it. Come on. That greater glory than Solomon's temple? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, okay, so we're looking at this, right? No way Herod's temple was gonna outdo Solomon's, okay? We we may have some discussion about this. Let's do it after service, though, okay? So, no way, not even close. No way Herod's temple is gonna outdo Solomon. So then was God wrong? Hmm. People be like, wow, Shane, you made a really good case. I, I think you're right. I don't think Herod's temple is greater than Solomon's temple. So was God wrong? Because God said that he was gonna make the glory in that temple greater. How in the world was that going to happen? So was God wrong? God said it would be greater. Now I want you to think about this with me for one second. The the miraculous fire that lit, right? God lit the fire in Solomon's temple. It was amazing. The glory cloud that came in, man, come on. Family, it doesn't get any better than that. The Ark of the Covenant was there, man. You know the Shekinah glory all over the temple. I mean, what was going on at Solomon's temple? That says there's no way, family. There is one way, only one way, only one way. I think of it as only one way to top the mighty, powerful, and holy symbols of the fire, the Shekinah glory, the the smoke, and the ark. There's only one thing that would top these instruments and symbols of the actual presence of God, do you know what the one thing would actually be? The actual presence of God. Only one way that you could top that. The the amazing symbols, there's only one way you could top that with the actual presence of God. Haggai's despic- depiction of the glory of God in this temple being greater than the temple of Solomon was totally 100% fulfilled the minute the king of kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God, the mighty Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he stepped foot in that temple. Whoa. Whoa, Luke chapter two, verse 27 to 32. Luke chapter two, verse 27 to 32. That day, the spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, they're at the temple, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Man, God's word was totally fulfilled. In the greatest way, it could have been. This was not a symbol of the presence of God. This was the word made flesh and dwelt among us presence of God. In a way, and in and, and the only way we could say anything about being, this being greater than the powerful, awesome presence of God in Solomon's temple. Do you guys see that? The, Solomon's temple was it, man and they were going to do something that was going to be more extraordinary and greater than that, they saw the miraculous work of God, his actual hand in the temple. We saw the zeal of God in the temple. We saw the passion of God in the temple, as well as the mercy and compassion of the Lord in the temple. The glory was greater because Christ was present in the temple. The earth literally shook And the curtain from the temple was torn when Christ died. And God shook the earth one more when the Romans came in 70 AD and destroyed the temple. And family, it's been destroyed and it hasn't been rebuilt even to this day. Why? Matthew 12, 6 tells us why. I tell you, there is no, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the table exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor, turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out. Out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you, if God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Come on, family. Are you seeing this? Greater because Jesus walked in. But Christ is even greater than the temple. Why is that important to know? Because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the true temple of God. It does not now nor ever need to be rebuilt because we have one that is infinitely better And he is doing much more than any earthly temple can do. Why? Because Jesus is alive and well, sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority in heaven and earth, giving him as we watch now as the Father is making the enemies of Christ his footstool. Can the temple do that? He is ruling and reigning right now. Did you know? Do you know he's ruling and reigning right now on earth? Oh, and he's got to come and rule and reign right now on earth. Oh, do you know he's ruling and reigning right now on earth? Hmm, that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah? Let me ask you one question. Al, is Jesus your king? Are you on earth? I rest my case. He's ruling and reigning right now on earth as king in the hearts of the people who are citizens. Of what kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is applying the power and benefits of the salvation and restoration of God on all creation with the Jew first and then to the Greek. The blood shed, watch this family, the blood shed on the cross is infinitely greater than any blood that was shed on any of the brazen altars in any temple that would be built here on earth. The perpetual fire is not greater than the consuming fire that is our God. The cleansing of Christ is greater than any cleansing that would happen in the copper basin or the labor, for, the labor for washing. He's better than that. He's greater than that. The light that Jesus, our Lord, is greater than the light that was given from the golden lampstands. Those golden lampstands is not going to be able to give the light that Christ can give. The body of Christ that we eat is greater than any showbread that's on the golden table. The prayer and intercession of Christ is greater than any incense burning on the golden altar of incense. And as for the ark, yeah, the ark was pretty great. Christ, in Christ, is the righteousness of God. In Christ is life and life more abundant. In Christ is our mediator and intercessor. intercessor, So much greater than the tablets in the ark, than the manna in the ark, and Aaron's staff that budded in the ark. So much greater. But Shane, what of the mercy seat? Point number four. He brought peace with God. Because Haggai said that God would bring peace. The very end of our passage today, God is going to bring peace. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That blood of Christ spread over the mercy seat that counted. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus, is sacrifice, that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. Peace came when the blood of Christ was shed. And family, for we were all enemies with God at war with him through our rebellion, at odds with him through wickedness, separated in conflict because of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. If you have broken the smallest of the commandments, you are as guilty as one who has broken all of them. We are deserving of outer darkness, deserving of eternal fire. We are deserving of weeping and gnashing of teeth, but God brought peace. Oh, man. You hear that? God brought peace. He did. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But God brought peace. So you're saying, hey, Shane, everything that you said, man, that was brutal. (laughs) Is there salvation? You better believe it. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. In the ultimate, if you want things done right, you got to do it yourself. The Son of God came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the promises continue, family, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. He sent Jesus, and now we have peace. And what a wonderful peace it is. And not just for today, but forever. And we have it because of the wonderful presence of the living God and we will have it forever because Jesus says lo I am with you always to the end of the age he is with us he will always be with us and family we don't judge this by looking at the winds and the waves we fix our eyes upon Jesus and we believe it because he said it in his word If God says he's with us, then we believe he's with us. And if there's anything in this world that's trying to keep God from being with us, do you know, always remember, he will shake heavens and earth. He will move the oceans. He will move the lands. He will throw it all into confusion so that he could be with us. What a mighty God we serve. Our Lord Jesus is the true temple of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.